Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to publish, with the help of Mike Organ from the Tennessean, a list of the top 10 most influential people in Nashville baseball history. It just occurred to me that there were influential people in Nashville's baseball area that were not necessarily the most popular or the best, but just that influenced people, particularly on the baseball field. But I published my own list, and Mike asked readers to write to me and let me know who they felt would be a good candidate for them. And I took those names, and here's the list that I came up with. I'm going to start with number 10 and go backwards here. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on these because later on I will talk about each one of these in future podcasts. Number 10 is Harry Warhorse Rogers, and he was the founder of the Nashville Old Timers Baseball Association in 1938. Now, that may sound like an obscure name, but as you study the Nashville Old Timers Baseball Association as an organization, they have influenced greatly. Uh, baseball, amateur baseball particularly. And then Harry Warhorse Rogers was the founder of that, and he continued to be the president for some time. Number nine is Grantland Rice. Grantland Rice was a sports writer with the Nashville Tennessean, and he actually gave the Nashville Athletic Park, the home of all of Nashville's baseball, up until 1907. It was always called Athletic Park, and he gave it the name Sulphurdale, and the name stuck, and it has been known as Sulphurdale ever since. He also called the Nashville professional baseball team, Volunteers. And number eight is Willie White. He was the trainer, and he also uh, at Sulphurdale, and he had the keys to the kingdom, I've heard people say, because if the Nashville Vols were not there, they were on, away, or in the wintertime or fall, he would open up the park and let the young boys in the neighborhood across the city of Nashville come in there and play, choose up teams, but he also had his own teams, the, the Sulphurdale Giants, for example, and he would teach players how to play. I think he was influential in uh, Jim Jr. Gillum's baseball start. Uh, number seven was Herschel Greer. He was the president of Vols Incorporated. He was a sponsor at Guarantee Mortgage of many baseball teams, and he also um, tried to buy the Nashville Vols in the late 40s when the Murray family was experiencing some financial difficulty. And later on, 1956, 57, he helped form Vols Incorporated to raise money, not only to buy out Ted Murray, but also to put money in the bank to run the ball club, and they did through 1963. Uh, the other one is Tom Wilson is a number six. He was a founder of the Nashville Elite Giants. He was quite an entrepreneur. He actually built his own ballpark called Tom Wilson Park. Uh, he owned the Nashville Standard Giants in 1918. He had the Nashville Elite Giants, which ultimately became known as the Baltimore Elite Giants, and he was a, uh, also a president of the Negro National League at one time. And then number five is Ken Dugan, the head coach at Lipscomb College, David Lipscomb College, now Lipscomb University. Yeah, one thing about him being influential, he produced 32 All-Americans. That's quite a feat. Wrote several books about baseball and everybody. He was kind of the go-to guy, too, as his college uh, coaching career was so strong across the country. Number four was Fred Russell. Fred Russell... Uh, was a protege of Grantland Rice, was a sports editor of the Nashville Banner, and he wrote books himself. But through his writing, I think, was a strong influencer of Nashville baseball. Number three was Larry Gilbert. He was brought in by 
a man named Faye Murray, who owned the Nashville Vols in the 30s, he was brought in from New Orleans where his hometown was, and he was a player and manager for the New Orleans Pelicans. Larry Gilbert was given half ownership of the Nashville Vols if he would come to Nashville, and he was successful in his first season and throughout his 10-year career as the manager and later as general manager of the Nashville Vols. Number two is Tim Corbin. Now, not because Tim Corbin has won three College World Series and not because of all those victories, that too, but he has been influential in the careers and other segments of, of a player and his baseball career. And uh, he's hard to leave out of any top 10 list, I think, but particularly the a number as number two in the top 10 most influential people in Nashville baseball history. And everybody's number one is Larry Schmidt, who founded the Nashville Sounds while he was the coach of the Vanderbilt University Commodores. He won Vandy's first SEC championship in 1973, and he was known as an innovator of the, the Nashville Sounds at Greer Stadium. But not many know that he coached a lot of amateur games. I think he actually started coaching when he was 15 or 16 years old and continued to coach, like I said, until he had the first year of the Sounds, and then he left coaching and stayed with the Na- Nashville Sounds. But his influence is far-reaching, not just through Nashville, but he taught a lot of club owners how to promote, how to get rear ends in the stands, I think he would say, rear ends in the seats. He knew how to bring them in. But let me go through some of these names that people had given to me and that I researched myself. And you may want to add, you can always send me a note and add to this list. But this is those are the ones that did make my top 10, but they may be in your top 10. And I think you should tell me who your top 10 is. So let me go through some of these, and I'll see if you agree or disagree. One is Butch McCord. He was a Negro League and minor league player for the Nashville Black Balls, the Nashville Cubs, and the Baltimore Elite Giants and later joined organized baseball and won two silver gloves as the best first baseman in the minors. And he supported the building of a baseball field at Tennessee State and was instrumental in getting Negro League players in the Major League Baseball pension fund. Another is Jim Turner. Jim Turner was born in Antioch, played for the Boston Red Sox, was the New York Yankees pitching coach for Casey Stengel when they won five World Series. And in 1960, he became the Nashville Vols manager for a season and then moved to the Cincinnati Reds as pitching coach between 1961 and 1965. He rejoined the Yankees as pitching coach 1966 through 1973. Now, here's a name you're not going to know. It's not going to be familiar to you because it comes out of the 19th century. Will C. Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N, was an organizer of Nashville's very first pro team in the fall of 1884 and he helped organize the Southern League the next season, which began in 1885, still continues to this day. He was Nashville's first manager that season uh, for the team known as the Americans and later helped organize the Western League. Won the Medal of Honor also for extraordinary heroism during the 1876 Indian-U.S. Army conflict. And he was instrumental later on on the West Coast with University of California, Berkeley. Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart was a great guy. I knew Jimmy uh, Pretty well. He was amateur Babe Ruth League coach and also served as a Babe Ruth League regional director. And we all remember that that great amateur team, those different teams at different age levels, the Shutiques travel baseball team in Nashville. And he was instrumental in that. Mickey Hyder is a local player, amateur manager, and coach, continues to teach 
baseball lessons, and is a regional director with Perfect Game. Old Shelby Park Field number two was recently named in his honors, Mickey Hyder Field, and he's also very active as an executive committee meeting with the National Baseball Old Timers Baseball Association. Joey Hale, about 10 years ago, led the Gullisville Little League to the U.S. Championship. That was 2012. He's been a local coach for a long time and is still instrumental in that organization. Another name you may not recognize is Newt Fisher. Uh, they called him Ike. He was a native Nashville, and he played one game for Nashville in 1893, played a few games with Philadelphia in the National League in 1898, and played three years with Minneapolis, 1898 to 1900. Before, when that season was over, uh, he came back to Nashville to his hometown and helped organize the Southern Association to begin play in 1901. And he did manage that team until 1905. And his team won the first two Southern Association pennants, by the way, 1901 and 1902, and was uh, involved in the development of Athletic Park, which later became known as Sulphurdale. Then there's Faye Murray, and I mentioned him earlier. He brought Larry Gilbert to Nashville, but he, he was, as an owner of the Minneapolis Millers, he bought the Nashville Vols team in 1931 and was instrumental until he passed away in 1941 in trying to make Nashville, the Nashville Vols franchise dominant in the Southern Association. And when he brought Larry Gilbert in, that's what happened. Then there's Jimmy Hamilton. He was a manager and co-owner of the Nashville Vols in the mid-20s. He, he was a, the right-hand man to Faye Murray, Murray, actually, and had a strong relationship with the Brooklyn Dodgers and later served as a scout when he left Nashville. Everybody loved Dick Sisler. He was uh, one of the whiz kids in Philadelphia. He had a home run to help give the Philadelphia Phillies the pennant in 1950, the team that was known as the whiz kids. But more, more famously here, he was manager and co-owner of the Nashville Vols, 1957 through 1959. Uh, he led the charge in selling Vols Incorporated stock shares to the public to keep pro baseball in Nashville and is the son of a Hall of Famer, George Sisler. Sue Bridgeforth owned the New Era Club and sponsored a team called the New Era Giants. He bought his first New Era League baseball team, the Baltimore Elite Giants, in the 1950s and later owned the Nashville Stars along with several other teams. He was a great baseball man. Actually played on one of those, some of those New Era Giants teams. Then there's George Digby, who was a longtime Major League scout with the Boston Red Sox and signed several players like the Mitchell brothers, John and Charlie, and I think Tommy Bolton and many others. He lived in the Nashville area, was responsible for scouting in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Then a name that everybody recognizes is Harold Buster Bogusky. He was a standout player at Cumberland High School and in local amateur leagues and spent three years in the Army. And when he came out in 1946, he accepted an invitation to the Nashville Vols spring training, and he was sent to Hopkinsville in the Kitty League for one season. But the next season, he made the Vols roster and stayed many years, playing through 1953. And he later served 32 years as a Metro Councilman, and he was influential there, and he was also influential as a sporting goods sales rep for team uniforms and caps and shirts and gloves and uh, shoes. Raymond Johnson was a Tennessean sports editor who also served as commissioner of several of the city's amateur leagues through the 1950s and 1960s. Then there's Turkey Stearns. He's less influential in Nashville, but he's well known in Nashville. He's just one of the names that came up, played Negro League ball for the Detroit Stars and Chicago American Giants, attended Pearl High School, later graduating, 
uh, from Pearl. He, he got his start with the Nashville Standard Giants in 1920 and is a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He's known for hitting great home runs. Wayne Garland signed a 10-year contract with the Cleveland Indians for $2.3 million after a 20-7 season with Baltimore in 1976. I played against him. I'm not sure I ever got, a, got wood on the ball, but he could throw a screaming fastball. He certainly did throw it by me. Farrell Owens was one of my favorite people of all time. He, not many know that he was a standout baseball player at Cone High School in Lipscomb University. But he was the first general manager of the Nashville Sounds and a past president of old-timers. I often told him, you are the ears and eyes of old-timers. He let us in on all the news and all the happenings and all the uh, grandsons and granddaughters' births of Nashville, Nashville amateur players and all sorts of things like that. He was just a great guy. George Leonard was a Nashville Banner sports writer who later became senior editor of Athlon Sports. He co-authored with Fred Russell that little booklet called Vols Feats, 1901 through 1950, which was a history of the Nashville Vols, was a great baseball writer. Teddy Acklin, like uh, Sue Bridgeforth, owned the Del Morocco Club and the Morocco Stars barnstorming team and started the Nashville Stars in the late 1940s. Jim Zapp was a Negro League player who hit a home run in Kansas City. He was born in Nashville. He was, that was key to the Birmingham Black Barons winning the series that gave them a berth in the 1948 Negro League World Series. That was the last Negro League World Series. George Archie was a former Major League First Baseman with the Washington Senators and St. Louis Browns and became a manager of local amateur teams, particularly Nebrico, that was Nashville Bridge Company's team, and Guarantee Mortgage was a, was a coach also with the Nashville Vols. And as he coached these amateur teams, everybody that remembers him just talks about what a great coach he was. Johnny Beasley was a star pitcher with the National League champion St. Louis Cardinals in the 1942 World Series, the Gas House Gang. He came back to Nashville when his career ended and played semi-pro ball in the area. Not too many would not remember that R.A. Dickey won the 2012 Cy Young Award winner award with the New York Mets. And he also played with the Braves, the Blue Jays, the Twins, the Texas Rangers, and the Seattle Mariners. And he played with the Nashville Sounds, too. He went to NBA and University of Tennessee. Frank Ward is another name. He was instrumental in Nashville's new ballpark becoming a reality and took the Nashville Sounds franchise to new heights with entertainment value and top attendance. Jim Gillum was the 1953 National League Rookie of the Year. He was born in Nashville. And he displaced Jackie Robinson, of all people, at second base that rookie year season. And a two-time All-Star, his number was retired after his death. It's the only Dodgers number retired for, for a player not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Dave Whitten was a well-loved baseball coach at Belmont. He posted a final career record of 674 wins and 452 losses and was a five-time conference coach of the year. He was elected into the Tennessee Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame in 1998 and in January 2000 was named Mr. Baseball by the Old Timers. And, and he was an integral part in caretaking of Shelby Park Number 1 where Belmont played and before they moved to ES Rose Park where they play now. Then there's Jack Lavender was awarded the title of Mr. Baseball in 1991 by Old Timers. He was the one and only administrator of Twitty City Baseball as it was organized in 1981. And he made Seven Oaks Park one of the finest in the area. And in 1996, the field was dedicated in his name as Jack Lavender Field. 
Well, there's just a few more, and I, I would welcome your suggestions, your thoughts, your criticisms. You can contact me at 262downright at gmail.com or at, on uh, baseballinnashville.com. Go to the contact page and click on that and fill out the form and send me your thoughts. I would welcome them. As always, I'm grateful that you would join me, and I hope you do so again. And we'll continue to talk about the top 10 most influential baseball people in Nashville baseball history. Thanks for joining me at Skip's Corner.